Exegesis. Hello, and welcome to the finale of Countdown to Exegesis Season 3, where we'll be looking at the closing track of Pretzel Logic, Monkey in Your Soul. Today, Ollie and I are joined by Season 3 celeb, uh, Mr. Brian Roston. Hello, Brian. Hey guys, how's it going? Superb, thank you. Um, Ollie, it was you who brought Brian into our tractor beam, into mm-hmm. our sweaty, sweaty clasps. Um, so would you like to introduce him to the folks at home? I mean, he needs no introduction, surely. <laughs> I assume that everyone who has listened to Countdown to Exegesis Season 3 has already heard the work of Brian Roston and the voice of Brian Roston. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Roston came into our fold by accident. Something about Fiverr. Found Brian, found Brian Roston. Okay, here's the thing. So, yeah, okay, I'll tell the story as it actually is. Brian Roston, episode three of this series, I, did, I had to do my show and tell, and I looked for people on Fiverr uh, to write a story inspired by Steely Dan lyrics, uh, and Brian Roston was found, and Brian Roston was very good, and Brian Roston continued to write us stories for, uh, for the continuing thing, and very thankful we are, Brian, as well. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure your stories will be a continuing feature as we go on. Um, here's something that we haven't yet revealed, I think, which is that mm. um, there was another contender in the... What? So yes. There, yes. <laughs> there were two stories. The uh, And if you remember, Brian, I you know I messaged you and I was like, we're not doing this to make fun of the story. We just want to get something fun and interesting. And yours was really good, although it took some time for us to understand it because we're stupid <laughs> in English. And we, we didn't necessarily get all the cultural top touch points. Um, but there was another one, uh, and mm. we and we did it, it did make it up. it made it onto the recording, but not onto the show because there was no choice but to basically make fun of it. Was there, Andrew? Yeah, we were pretty catty about it, as I recall. It was it was quite bad. So yeah. so yours easily uh, rose to the top because we don't want to be mean, you know. No, no, I, I get it. I just wanted to ask. So, when you received this message from Ollie, what what went through your your mind? I thought, oh my god, that is extremely specific <laughs> yeah. because because I, I put it out there um, to do microfiction, and I knew that you know anybody who asks to pay for one hundred words is either is doing one of three things: they're either extremely bored. Or they are um, putting together an anthology of microfiction, mm-hmm. um, and they just need to fill pages. Or uh, they're doing something like this, where they just, for whatever reason, they are specifically trying to get like a certain type of story, and they want it short and cheap. Um, that, or they're uh, lying to their English teacher. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. supposed to be writing a hundred-word <laughs> story, and they don't. Um, which I have some questions because Ollie, you know, Ollie filled out um, like some questions that I have on Fiverr before I uh, work with a client. Those cli- those questions are designed for me to know whether someone is lying and trying to get me through their English homework. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I looked at that and I was like, all right. So I knew I was going to get some odd requests, but I didn't think I'd get. Um, podcasts about a band that i've really only like i'm tangentially aware of mm-hmm. yeah. um and uh but i really enjoy doing it this has been a lot of fun i'm now very interested to read the other story um oh it's dog shit but... a <laughs> hundred words is hard uh, doing it yeah, and yeah, doing yeah. something in under 500 words um I get I actually I read a lot of short stories um for the magazine that I run and 
I get a lot of entries from people who are trying to get in because they'll write something that's like 200 words so they know that it's cheap and I don't have to pay a lot for it. And most of those are also dog shit because mm. it's so hard to tell a story in that small amount of space. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I can imagine. So, so, so here's a question. I mean, you said you kind of answered it already, but just to dig a little deeper, you said you, you know, you're tangentially aware of Steely Dan. You're a young guy. I don't expect you to have, you know, heard the hits in their heyday. But I mean, what? Were you, are you aware of any Steely Dan songs apart from the ones we subjected you to? When you sent me the stuff for Monkey in Your Soul, when you were like, you know, look this song up, I looked it up, and I remember seeing stuff about like Steely Dan. And some of their big hits, I remember thinking, oh, I heard, I've heard of some of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the chorus like runs in my head. So I would say like, there's like three or four songs where like, I'm like, oh, okay. When my mom used to play oldies on sure. the radio when I was like eight years old, I remember hearing that in the car. Like that's, yeah. Ricky, that don't lose that number. It's yes. the only yeah. one you own. Uh, that is the one specifically where I was like, oh, okay. I can like sing that kind of. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, Donald Fagan can only kind of sing it. Sh- shut up now. Um, so just just because and just because I'm you know I'm desperate to scratch beneath the rust. Can I? Mm-hmm. Can I just like what? Where does your taste in music lie? Or are you all words? So I did not want to tell you this because I wanted to save this oh. as fodder for the podcast. Shorting. Okay. I am notorious in my friend circles as having the worst taste in music. <laughs> Of everyone that knows me, every mm-hmm. single person, um, it's just become a running joke now. You know, um, I like Nickelback. Like, I, I don't, you know, listen to them on the regular, but like, I enjoy uh, their music. And then just like any basic mainstream, everybody's already heard it. It's been a million times on the radio. That's what I listen to. So like the Beatles, uh, Ed Sheeran, Tupac, Sugar Ray. Bare Naked Ladies. I mean, you just list mediocre bands, and it's like that's that's it, right? That's my that's my jam. Um, so that's like my top. I just listed you like my top five. So well, um, I'd love to say I'm not judging you, uh, but I am. If, if I said that, it would it would undermine my whole persona for this for this entire yeah. podcast, which is basically you absolutely should judge me. Yeah, like like. The, the understanding that I've come to with friends and family is that you should judge me for my taste in music because it's terrible. So it's okay. It's okay if you judge the, those bands because they are just mediocre. Some of them rock, some of them rap. Some of them, there's not even in a category, bands. Um, I was just meeting with... Uh, <laughs> I was just meeting with the teacher that I'm supposed to mentor this year. So there's a, there's a new teacher who's coming on staff. And, you know, she's like college aged. Um, and she's like talking about what she's into and she's like, Oh yeah, I love indie rock. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh man. Like she's just listing off just even types of music that I've never heard of and bands that I've never heard of. And she's like, this is why I love this band. And like, I don't even know why that's the reason you would like a band. I, I got nothing, I got nothing for you. So, um, I'm very excited to be on a music podcast cause I am the absolute best and worst person to have on a music podcast. Mm. It's a yeah. It's an in, you're going to bring an interesting perspective, fresh perspective for sure. Because we we have only invited complete music snobs on. I think it's fair to say, and I think everyone we've invited on would probably agree with that assessment. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brian, you can judge me for my lack of uh, literary anything because I don't think I've read mm. a book in about a year and a half. I think I think you're going to be right at home, Brian, because I compared one of Donald Fagan's vocal performances 
to the bloke from Nickelback. Now, I made the comparison with total scorn and snooty, snooty, haughty disparagement, but I think the comparison is there, so you're going to be right at home. Uh, right, no, cool. no, no, sorry, sorry to butt in, but you made the comparison so many steps removed from the actual Donald Fagan because you haven't heard the song that you criticised for having a Nickelback vocal. You heard a man in a tribute band mm. sing it, sing it in a slightly Nickelbacky way, and then you've and now you, now you've like reflected that back onto Fagan, which is totally unfair, but completely keep in keeping with your uh, nefarious character. So. Um, <laughs> I just think if you can imagine if you can imagine somebody's song being sung by Nickelback, then it's a bad song. Ooh, hot take. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure All I can right. I'm not sure I can defend that, but that that's my <laughs> should we, that's should what we my try a says. few. Okay. Um, okay, go on then. I would I would like you, Andrew, to sing uh the Beatles I Wanna Hold Your Hand in the style of Nickelback, please. Okay. Oh yeah. See that's something I think you'll understand. And I... is that is that ballpark? <laughs> I want to hold down, your hand. He's got a very like tortured, very tortured voice. Yeah, as did Paul McCartney. Yeah, not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today, as you said, Andrew, we're discussing, I think you said this, we're discussing Monkey in Your Soul. Um, Brian, just to warn you, this is sometimes considered one of the, one of the worst, if not the worst, Steely Dan song. It is not well liked in the fandom. So if you do have terrible music taste, as you profess, and you turn out to like it, maybe that means, I don't know. I don't know what that means, but uh, let's see. We sort of copped the name from a uh, uh, popular novel of the day because uh, we needed needed to call it something. We had been calling ourselves, you know, Becker and Fagan and stuff like that, which sounded more or less like a delicatessen or some sort of, you know, tailoring outfit. And so we were glad to have something else to use. Song facts. There's two. No, there's one. Is that the worst yet? There's one song fact. Mm. It's, well, it's a kind of a combined song fact. So, as far as I can tell, this wasn't performed live until Steely Dan's reunion shows in the 2000s. That's one fact. I'm, ca- I'm calling that one fact. Okay? Sure. When was it recorded, though? 1973. Released 1974. Aha! But, Brian, key information. They stopped touring after this album. So, they toured this album and then... Never toured oh, again, okay. and jettisoned right. sort of ninety percent of their band as well. You'll need this as we go along, and because we've got all these kind of characters for for the band members and cartoon character versions, um, you'll you'll follow along as we go. Yeah, you, you, you're good at picking up a narrative. Um, when they performed it on the tours in the two thousands, Walter Becker would sing it. Right. Do you want to explain to Brian who Walter Becker is? <laughs> The other one. The other one. So, Becker would sing it. Reviewers described his vocal, variously, as (laughs) half-hearted, shaky, (laughs) acerbic, appealingly gruff, and toneless. Oh, wow. And then covers, the only cover I could find is actually unreleased. It's by a guy called Freedy Johnston, who is a New York singer-songwriter. He 
apparently recorded a version that didn't make it onto the Me, My, Me Myself and Irene soundtrack, which has been... I mean, I think Me, Myself and Irene, I don't know if it's in the movie, but the soundtrack is almost all Steely Dan covers. Uh, is, is it Jim Carrey's character? One of the two characters that he plays is a fan of Steely Dan, I take it? I don't know. I've never seen okay, the movie. Right. I sh- really should okay. have seen the movie by now because it, we, we've brought it up about six or seven times. <laughs> but I've never watched it. You haven't watched it, have you, Andrew? I caught about five minutes of it on telly and the the one scene that I saw managed to... It just managed to be offensive to about three different minority groups all at once. There was like a black dwarf character and it was all it was all that kind of early noughties, ironic prejudice. There was literally like vibe. a celestial body. A black dwarf? Is that what a black dwarf is? Is it a celestial body? Or is that a red dwarf? So, yeah. No, there's, there's black dwarfs, yeah. There are black dwarfs, okay. Sorry, let me just uh, go along with the bit. Yeah, it was a celestial body. <laughs> <laughs> not not known to be offended, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they were saying he was, you know, really, really big. <laughs> yeah, far, um, far away. Far, yeah, really remote, <laughs> like emotionally remote. And, and just... That's a... That's really out-of-this-world offensive. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that was very patronising, Ollie, that little clap. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. Yeah. We started using him uh, for percussion and also for piano and fives. Piano and fives. 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 Piano and fives. Fives. I coached American football for like six years. Sweet. Ah. Nice. So I was nice. deep into it for a while, yeah. The rostered Red Sox. <sighs> nice. Thanks. <laughs> that's my one uh, sport American sport reference. No, I just didn't say anything because that's baseball. So that's... Oh. That's <laughs> 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 <But same. laughs> Oh, well. Oh, Andrew. Uh, should, we, should we do Vibe? Sure. Should we vibe it up? So shall we let Brian go first? Brian, as the guest, please reveal your vibe for Monkey in Your Soul. I'm a little less stressed about this because I found out that everybody hates this song, so it's good. <laughs> um, uh, my vibe is this sounds like it was written by someone who wanted to be part of a Steve Miller band, but also wanted to join the circus. Oh, <laughs> That's how I felt while I was listening to this. Where do, where does the circus element come in? I, I like, know what you mean, would, but I, yeah. Because the undercurrent of the song felt like you were listening to like a 70s rock band, and then every once in a while someone just decided to add a random instrument. Like someone was just like, what if like sax- saxophone for just like a little while? And then what if like wind chimes? And then like what if like a cowbell for just a couple beats? Like just for just for a couple, just throw it in. And it just, it, it started to feel like a, a so little bit of a carnival to me. It's kind of like the, the horn section is like trapezing in. Or, or yes. Yeah, like yeah. Doing yeah. Just, for, just for a couple of beats. Yeah. yeah. If I can, if I can jump in on this circus metaphor, the the baseline does put. You know, when you're like watching a kids show, you're watching a cartoon, and an elephant walks on screen, and the and the music goes. Yeah, like the baseline to Monkey in the Soul. What's your vibe, Andrew? My vibe is a bit more uh, cryptic. Uh, Oh, that's a surprise. 
My vibe is uh, breadsticks for pudding. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, well, oh my God. where do I even start? From what angle do we approach that? That's like an, that's like an Escherian vibe. Like, any angle you approach it from, like, the, like you, you're faced with an impossible, impossible geometry. Well, Can you say it again? Because I've already forgotten it. Breadsticks for pudding. Okay. So, where does this... Where no, no, the no, 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 no. Let me try and pick that apart. Okay, so what you're saying is... We're on the final track of the album. Yeah. You would expect them to serve some sweet, sweet dessert. Yeah. And you get served up the blandest thing imaginable. Uh, That's exactly what I mean, yeah. I'm like, I cannot... So my original vibe was closing track, three question marks, two exclamation marks. And then I decided to go a bit more fucking gnomic. If you have to read out the punctuation, then it's probably a bad... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angle, yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, it was breadsticks for pudding, period. Oh, clo- closing track. Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I just find I, I I just find it really a testament to to how patchy this album is. That this is the this is the finale of the album. Like this does not feel like any kind of closing statement, and it just sort of like ends in a slightly underwhelming way, and uh, you know. I can only think it's because they were just struggling to to sequence the side two because the songs were a little, as we've agreed, you know, the songs are a little bit weak. Well, I haven't outright said weak, uh, but yeah, I get yeah, Maybe I off mic. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your vibe? <clears throat> Ape in soul. Oh, very good. Do you get it? Yeah, aping, aping, they're aping soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a clever boy. Mm. <laughs> that was especially for Brian, wasn't it? You were like, I did not be... understand. You don't get I it. I did not understand that reference. Uh, and, uh, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. So ape in sounds a bit like aping. So we're okay. saying they're aping soul, as in this is a bit of a soul <laughs> oh pastiche. Ah, uh, okay. All right. That's good. Oh, I feel for you, Ollie. But, I feel for you. That was... Well, yeah, you know, because I did, I did feel the pressure because Brian was, you know, the world. I could, master. I could tell. I could tell. Yeah. Gone. And then I didn't, you know, Brian's just like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> he threw up his hands in the air like an angry New York he cab thre- driver. I mean, you say that, but I think he actually threw up. He went off. <laughs> he went off camera for a second. Yeah. Well, part it. Part of it is, uh, as a science teacher, I just am always thinking about the fact that, like, what's the difference between an ape and a monkey and explaining that to children, because so, I do that all the time. Could you explain it to me? Oh, um, monkeys have tails. <laughs> I didn't want to steal the thunder. I didn't want to steal the thunder from Ollie's vibe, because that's just what was running through my head as he was, as he was really trying to sell yeah. his vibe. Yeah. I'm sorry, Ollie. I, I started... Maybe doing more of the music, the music, the music. So, so it was a more complex the music after a while. The music. Hey, it's it's gonna be boring if 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 we don't add some some rubby rubby notes. The music of Monkey in Your Soul. Um, mm-hmm. What have I what have I written? One second. So I'll tell you what I have. I have a list of things I like, like you did last episode, Andrew. Mm-hmm. You listed things you liked. We could start with the things I like. We could start with Brian, because Brian's the guest. If we want to be polite, we could start with your screed. 
I feel like I feel that though that we should start with positive. So you know, I'm I'm inclined to say my bit if that's cool with everyone, because this is a shit song, and you know, let's get let's get the positives out of the way because I assume it's going to be pure screed after that. Okay, so things I like, I like the first bass line. I do what? like the first bass line. <laughs> why why are you gobsmacked? Because that's one of the most obviously bad things about this song. No, I, I, I assume, like it. I'm just surprised that you went in with that. I, yeah. Well, you know, I knew that it would be controversial, and let's get it over with. I like the first bass line. It's okay, unusual okay. to hear it on a Steely Dan song. Mm-hmm. It's goofy. I kind of like that it's goofy. And yeah, cool. I like uh, the hand claps at the start. Yeah, me too. Is that acceptable? Yeah. yeah. I like... The overall groove, can't back that up now because I wrote that very late last night and I can't even really remember how it goes. Um, oh, I wrote the goofy atmosphere uh, and I like the stack style horn riff. So, yeah. Um, so that's the things I like. A- any thoughts? Anyone? I'm surprised that you haven't mentioned the guitar solo because that's where my ears pricked up because i don't i i so i think i like this song as a song but i think as a as a record it's it's quite bad and there are a number of things that really irritate me about it like do you mean do you mean that like do you mean that if you if you presented this as like chords and a melody and lyrics and said to mr guitar or mrs guitar or ms guitar um Go out, go away, and play that song. You would like it as this pure song, but you just yeah, like the, the sort of choices. the sort of the, the the platonic ideal of the song. You know, yeah, it's like interesting. I would like to hear a cover of this because I think that, that yeah, I hate the horns, um, I hate the fuzz bass. I think Fagan's singing on this is truly horrible. Like mm. his way with vowels is is just so confusing to me. Like what's the what's the what's the opening lyrics? <laughs> I want one and you want four. Yeah, like yeah. It's it's like it's so hard to help. Yeah, you know. He sounds like he's swallowing himself. <clears throat> and then when he what? sings like uh, "Goodbye, dear," it's like "dear." You know, it's just like he's doing things with sounds that I've never heard before, but not in a cool way. <laughs> in a way that makes me want to leave the room. Like like in a dying goat kind of way. Yeah, like a death. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's like somebody has patched together a number of death rattles by a variety of New York hipsters. Oh dear. Okay, but Level. what I'm saying is, I would like, I would like to hear a, a cover of this because I think that I think as a song, it's really catchy and quite fun. Well, okay. And, you know. Well, this this is just beautiful, right? Because, well, okay. Let, let's match up the the things I dislike to to what you've mm. just said. So things I dislike. This is this is by the way all the notes I have for this song. It's a list of things I like and a list of things I dislike. Things I dislike: the guitar solo. How it's such a lovely fluttery. Like I think the whole song like opens up when that guitar solo starts. Which I've said is serviceable, but not uh, Skunk's finest hour. Um, oh. Second thing I dislike: Fagan's vocal. Oh yes. I think this is. Uh, it's just a, it's just like a failed soul impression. It's just like a failed soul pastiche, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Now, because everything you said 
just begged to be packed into a perfectly presentable package of riposte or response. Right, let me just say, you want to hear a cover of this song? I listened to the Walter Becker sang tour version of this song, mm. and I much, much prefer it. Mm. It's slinkier, it's jazzier, it's, dare I say, sexier. Um, kind of sounds like if they recorded Monkey in Your Soul for Asia. And I would suggest that we listen to it. Brian, what do you think is what do you think is the superior version? Oh, absolutely this one. The one that's in the chat right now where uh the other person is singing, uh, mm-hmm. whoever WB is. Uh Baxter, right? Walter Becker. Becker. Yeah. The one yeah. where Walter Becker is singing is is far superior. And I don't necessarily think it's because of the vocals, actually. Mm. Um it doesn't it doesn't feel like any of the other noises like interludes right from other instruments it they don't for whatever reason they don't feel out of place the way that they feel out of place in the other in the mm. other version yeah they've they've smoothed out the circus atmosphere haven't they yeah it's well, definitely you... slinkier as you say i Did mean you... when it started i i almost gagged just with the, the that descending horn line <laughs> I was like, because because I know that this is this is the ghost of Steely Dan future, right? This is kind of like mm-hmm. where we're heading, and so mm-hmm. I felt I felt fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. But the groove is, I would say, you know, powerful, much improved, much improved. Anyway, the roster, Uber Rost, <laughs> Ollie, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, no, like um, the when you had said that it sounds like the riff that they do when an elephant comes on a cartoon. That's definitely the vibe that I also got from um, like the, the bass line that ran through the uh, original version. The second version is definitely and better. Who has a who has a nicer voice, Donald Fagan or Walter Becker, based on this small sample? Based on the small sample, um, I, I'm, I, I'm going to give the political answer of it depends on what you want to listen to mm. you know if, if you want to listen to you know rock yes. uh definitely um fagan but if you want to listen to um folk or some soft rock or whatnot it's uh, becker very diplomatic yeah that was that was the best possible answer because what andrew was trying to do there was <laughs> like vicariously annoy me through me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And yet I still succeeded in annoying you because <laughs> my attempt was so transparent. <laughs> um, oh, what was I going to say? Um, uh, just to get my Muso reference in there, I don't know if I said this before, but uh, but like Walter Becker's vocals on that out, on that outtake, that live version, um, I don't think I don't think they're tuneless. I don't think they're inept no, or whatever no. the, the people said I, and I, they remind me a lot of Dr. John so as a resident Nickelback fan I don't expect Roston to know Dr. John but <laughs> no. Suter do you do you know do you know Dr. John like I'm thinking I like Dr. John Grigri yeah, yeah. era you know um, yeah it's but all... I think Dr. John's got more uh, he's more he is more of the things that you ascribe to this song like Dr. John is slinky sexy and what was your other adjective Slinky, sexy, and uh, bearded, and yeah, and hairy. Yeah, and um, I feel like Becca. So you you accused Fagin of just like aping a soul vocal. Badly. I think that's st- I th- badly. I think that's still what's happening here. It's just that Becca has like more of a nonchalance. 
So like Fagan sounds like he's really trying, whereas Becker sounds kind of lazily confident. Yeah, so just to move into another category of muso chat, um, from yeah. like, oh, have you heard, to, oh, have you played, uh, the uh, Becker <laughs> almost kind of, he's, his vocals are so lazy, he's almost singing like half a beat after the... yeah. Like it's very, very, it's very lazy. But it's like it's as far as you can push the laziness of vocals before they just become yeah. like unintelligible. Um, but uh, but I, I don't think I don't think they're like amazing. But I do think it did put me in mind of Doctor John a little bit. Mm. His ham-fisted exegesis in last month's Vanity Fair made me cringe. Um, okay, so uh, for those who have been listening along, we've been following the journey of Charlie and Victor, who uh, have one interesting evening uh, in which we find out that Charlie has actually betrayed Victor in the worst way that a 16-year-old can betray another 16-year-old. Um, and we are about to find out what the fallout of that night is going to be. Can I just say that's so much better than the way we've been wrapping this up? <laughs> yeah. Well, I literally go, so there's a guy on a playing field and he's doing what's called in America a promposal. <laughs> and they just like go through every single step of the story. So yeah, that was way, that was way more succinct. Come on. So, okay. One, two, three, Rustin. Two against the natural grass of a high school football field. Part nine. Monkey in your soul. Don't you turn that bebop down? I can't hear my heartbeat. Those are the words Victor says as he wakes up. Eyes squinting. Clothes still soaked from the rain. Laying on a bench at the train station. The bebop he is referring to is a train pulling out of the station. We watch it for a time, as it slides away into the distance. When he sees me, he smiles. Charlie? What's going on, man? I can't help but smile back. I think we may want to return your tux, friend. You were going to wear one for your promposal, if I remember correctly. Victor frowns. Yeah, that's right. You're a good friend, Charlie, he says, as he heaves himself up and bends over to collect himself. I pat him on the back. If you say so, Victor, then I'll take it. End. So, Andrew, as the last, as the only person who hasn't heard that before, I just want to get, you know, wrap up the Roston story. How are you, how are you feeling? I'm feeling, uh, I'm, I have a feeling of, like, calm, happy melancholy. You know what I mean? Sweet, sweet sorrow. <laughs> Because it's over, and also it's a very bittersweet ending, you know. Yeah, beautiful I mean, stuff. I, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass Brian by by laying on the plaudits. Oh, you but do. What I what I what I will say is something that that Andrew mentioned a few episodes ago, which is it's a very, it, it, it's a it's a very keen character study of like teenage yeah. manhood. Yeah, yeah. Like painfully so. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I think we said that it actually applied to us until we're about thirty-three. <laughs> uh, but and it still and it still applies to our thoughts, just not our actions. Yeah. But you know, just 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 the way these friendships would like destroy and then recreate themselves in 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 that kind of way. I think you've captured it very um, very beautifully, Brian. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm I'm happy you're here for for the last for the last of the uh, of the pretzel logic story. I will say though, um, I enjoyed writing this immensely. This is one of the oh. most fun assignments I've gotten oh, um, as a writer. So I just wanted to say thank you to you guys um, because this has been so fun to do. Oh, oh thank well, you. Well, like I've said privately, Brian, I'm, I'm I'm glad that you've kind of entered the the sphere of our podcast, and it's 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 been really good to meet you. Somehow we, we got into writing these like vaguely sadomasochistic uh, lyrics. Um, not that either of us were really involved in anything like that, but it, it just it, it seemed like uh, fresh material, you know. Yeah. Can I um, so, uh, can I give a summary of what I think the lyrics are about? That's a good way to start. Yeah. Because um, I'm not sure whether it made it into a finished episode, but I was flagellating myself about how I can't summarize a song without just talking through every line of a lyric. Sure. So I decided, I was like, I challenged myself to summarise this lyric without quoting from it at all. And I just want to share it and see what you guys think. Mm-hmm. So I think that this song is about somebody who is having a, a dalliance of some kind with a woman. And he feels that she is asking more of him than he can give. Uh, he's trying to just vibe out and, and chill and she and she's constantly like there demanding attention interrupting him his whole sense of self is being kind of like submerged because he's got this weird monkey lady dancing you know turning somersaults in front of him and so he's he's off he's packing his bags and he's leaving thank you this has been what do you, what, what do you think <laughs> really good it's a really good it's a really good summary okay great yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know where we go from there. No, I mean, this is it. I basically agree. I, I, I don't know if mm. I don't know if you've got anything to add, Brian. But I mean, that's basically what I mean. I do, I do have a couple of things to question, but I'll put the floor to Brian if you have anything else to say. Mm. Um, about that summary, I mean, I think that that's a that's a fair interpretation. I had a slightly different interpretation. Okay, go. But, uh, I think it's a fair. Go, go, go. Okay. All right. So my interpretation was uh, someone wanted to break up with their girlfriend, mm. but then they got chicken shit and wanted their friend to write the breakup letter instead. And a bunch of shit gets lost in translation. So it's like it's like a breakup letter, but it's not quite right. That sounds like two against the natural grass of a high school <laughs> football field. Where is the second? Oh, so is the friend in the first verse? is an actual friend of the narrator who is uh, interceding for him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I got one and you want four. Is obviously, like, on some level, we have different needs, but it gets mm. mistranslated by a friend who doesn't quite understand the situation of why they're breaking up. Oh. So everything just feels like it's a breakup letter, but it's, like, slightly off. That's how I felt when I was reading it. Wow. So hang on. So the original. So in the original breakup letter, it would say... I got one, uh, and you like what's been um, gar- what's been garbled. Um, I think it's like the person would if the person actually said what they wanted to say, it would be like um, either like I want children and you don't, or uh, I'm looking for a commitment and you're not. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have different sure. needs. So it gets but then it just comes out in this. It comes out weird as vagueness. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Oh wow. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that hadn't. I mean, that hadn't occurred to me. I'll be honest with you. I gave this song very little thought, um, <laughs> but I can. I can imagine. It's I not can, like you. <laughs> I could. To- I could totally imagine that being a uh, 
being right, basically. But my interpretation basically echoed yours, Andrew. It's like mm. overly needy partner or friend. Um, you know. Yeah, I thought it could be a friend, but then it's, he says honey, which I guess unless it's unless it's sarcastic. Sure. Suggests okay. it's a, it's, it's oh, a lady yeah, friend. Oh no, yeah, you're quite right, and you've you've. And also, he's got form because on this album, Ricky don't lose that number. We we were saying, weren't we, in that episode? It's got a kind of like like a commanding a commanding tone to it. Mm-hmm. Like you don't even know your mind. It's kind of a similar sort of like slightly slightly condescending uh, tone to it. Uh, so what's next question? What is the monkey in the soul? So the way I think I immediately thought of friends with Ross's monkey and how you cannot relax if there's a monkey in the room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I was, if I was trying to, it would be like having a child, like a baby in the room. Like if, if I was trying to record this podcast and there was a monkey, I would be constantly having to get it off my shoulder and feed it peanuts and slap it. Clean up its, <laughs> you know, just like, yeah, clean up its shit. And then, you know, and uh, so that's what I took it to mean. It's just like this, this, this woman to the narrator is just this constant, like, over-stimulating presence. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think where the where the where the condescension comes in because I've got form Brian of accusing Donald Fagan of being slightly sexist, uh, and I think I think there is a, a flavor of that here as well because it's I fear the monkey in your soul. It's kind of like I can read your inner. <laughs> world i know i know who you are in some fundamental way and you're just harshing my vibe sure okay let me get off my shoulder you know kind of thing yeah okay that's one way of looking at it another way of looking at it is that he's aware so he finds this woman really annoying um but by saying the monkey in your soul he's acknowledging that it's not her true self but something like nibbling at her psyche that is making her annoy donald fagan you know, so so that's a slightly more yeah. uh, sympathetic reading. It's like I, I'm aware, I'm aware that you have issues, um, but like mm. I've had enough of them. Basically, it's still quite presumptuous, though, isn't it? When you said condescension, I, I had the same. I felt the same way when I was reading the, mm. the lyrics. It Brian, Brian, et tu, Brian. Um. <laughs> <laughs> to the yes, condescension Brian. of the writer to whoever they're writing to not necessarily the audience but yeah. yeah yeah but it's better than saying you're like a monkey fucking annoying you know <laughs> i think that is what he's saying and i also think that you are steeped in in dan blood so thickly it's just like covering your whole body that to you, if it's not explicitly misogynistic, it's like fucking progressive, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you're like the fucking Sherlock Holmes of misogyn- misogyny when it yeah. comes to Steve Dan. Well, Brian, I'm 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 calling to the witness stand, friend of the show, Brian Roston. So you you picked up on some vague uh, bro vibes, you know, some sort of like slightly condescending tone. Oh yeah, I mean, this is obviously this is obviously again. Whether whether you look at it as in terms of like um, uh, your interpretation or the badly written breakup letter, it is very obviously like get away from me, get away from me mm. because there's something wrong with you. There's no yeah. way to read the lyrics without that. And so um, I definitely think like as you look at as you look at the lyrics, um, it's very much uh, uh, the other person is doing something wrong. There's no mention of what 
the songwriter has done in the relationship. Mm. And as anyone who's in a relationship can tell you, it takes two to tango, right? So if there's like some sort of problem in a relationship, it's because both people are bringing something to the table and this, uh, this, Okay. There's no mention of what the Steely Dan person is has done wrong. So what the, I think the problem was that he was just hunched over the piano playing really shit. We'll, we'll, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. Right. Okay. So self help Twitter will tell you that oh. like mm. that that mental health problems are not an excuse for bad behavior, and if you um and you know you've got to cut you've got to cut those time leeches from your life. You got to you got to you got to cut the bad energy from your life. Mm-hmm. So isn't the lyric I, which may or may not be Donald Fagan, just <laughs> just acting in his own best interests, and isn't that what self help Twitter wants you to do? I think most people Why who are, are you being bringing... condescending are acting in their own self interest. But you know what I mean. But like, there's a whole genre of like positivity. Yeah, which you hate. Yeah, which I do hate. <laughs> but there's a whole genre of positivity, positive thinking, which basically, which basically revolves around you are the center of your own universe. Therefore, nobody else is worth considering. You know that that is a, and that is a legitimate thing that people take seriously. So I just wanted to put that view out there, even though I vehemently disagree with it. But I think you could say, you know, like, you're a monkey. <laughs> I had sex with you, and now I think that you're a monkey because you're constantly clawing at my sleeve and throwing peanuts in my face, and I fucking hate you. I want you to leave. But, you know, I could be more patient, and I, maybe I haven't... Maybe I couldn't give you the attention that you need, and there's someone else out there for you who will... You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Azuki. There's, there's none of that in this song. It's just like, get away from me. Well, yeah, you damn monkey. Just, I mean, I'm playing Dan's advocate here because also mm. to to respond to Dan's advocate of if if they're mm. if we've set up this if we've set up this Twitter cohort straw, believes, straw man. Stra- <laughs> well, I I tried to, when I said set up, I was trying to think of another way to not say straw man. So if there's this <laughs> Twitter cohort that supposedly exists, where uh, which it does, uh, that exists where like yes, you should cut people out of your life that are toxic or whatever. Uh, I definitely think that the misunderstanding there is that if it's related to mental health, I mean, any mental health expert will tell you that the worst thing you can do is cut people out of your life. If you're having mental health issues, you should surround yourself with as many people as you possibly can. And part of surrounding yourself with a strong community is learning how to deal with other people's bullshit, because that's how you build a friend group is you learn how to look past people's dumb bullshit. Um, because you recognize your own dumb bullshit that you also bring to the table. So, no, I, I definitely think that as I read this, this is definitely a song about someone who is annoyed or is concerned about being around someone else that they don't want to be around anymore. And I don't think they have much legs to stand on um, to, yeah. <laughs> to, to not include anything that they also bring uh, to the relationship. Sure. So another angle is uh, what I've seen is this I've just seen this described as a as like a drug song like this other person is addicted to drugs mm-hmm. I see no evidence for this apart from possibly the title and the refrain monkey in your soul I fear the monkey in your soul like yeah um the monkey on your back like, yeah like it's, it's similar to the same monkey on your back isn't it like if you if you've got an addiction it's like a it's it's like this great ape sorry sit monkey that you can't shift uh, <laughs> Um, well, there's also the line. Why don't you turn that bebop down 
So, you know, if Steely Dan listeners are like really, really old people who associate loud music with drugs, it could also be, could be some evidence there. Yeah. Um, that line's interesting. Yeah. Uh, because that would, that echoes in a future Steely Dan song. Um, I say, I say song. What I mean is kind of like peachy, aural wonderland of mm. pure opiatic sex time. Um, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> which is which is called Babylon Sisters. Uh but that lyric that has the lyric Turn that jungle music down just until we're out of town. Just you know, it's just an interesting for me so, echo. Uh, what I, I find it uh I, I like that lyric because it what I like about it is that the first verse is like very straightforward. Like there's no real uh, unless we take Brian's interpretation on, in which case it's deeply twisty. But if you read it, if you take it at face value, it's like very, very like plain language, right? And then you get to verse two and suddenly we've got bebop and we've got fat back, which I'm not entirely sure what that is. But, you know, I quite like the way it sort of builds in mystery in the, into the second verse. So fat back, as far as I can tell, is a, is a kind of jazz beat. Uh, I thought it might be like a guitar pickup. That was my guess. But it's yeah. yeah uh, well, I might I might be wrong, but I I my very small amount of research last night took me onto the path of it being like a groove, like the fat back groove. Now, what I really should have done is listened to some examples of the fat back groove so I could tell you what it was like. Mm, but mm. I thought it was enough to go, okay, he's the the narrator of this song is a jazz musician, and he's basically like, I'm trying to write jazz here. You're cramping my style. Ah, you see, I thought it meant, so won't you turn that bebop down? I took it to mean that, like, she is like bebop in that she's like, she's like Charlie Parker just doing, like, a million notes. You know what I mean? Just, like, incredibly fast, intense, and, like, uh, in his face. So I saw it as a a bit of a conversation between the two, so... so Oh, so she's saying, won't you turn that bebop down? She's saying, won't you turn that bebop down? I can't hear my heart beat... No, and she's like, I can't hear my heartbeat. And then he's like, come on, where's that fat back chord I found? I'm trying to write a song here. Uh, okay, yeah, and then Because yeah. la- then later he says, like... Don't you think it was wrong to interrupt my song? Like, guy, like, come on. I'm I'm a creative genius here yeah, in the yeah. process. Mm-hmm. How dare you interrupt my process? If someone said, I can't turn that bebop down, I can't hear my heart th- heartbeat. If I was the narrator, if someone said that to me, yeah, I would break up with them. Probably just over that alone. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's important to know whether the narrator or the or the person is saying that. Mm. I do like that theory though that it's yeah somebody because it fit, just because it fits my cartoon version of Donald Fagan as being a bit of a prick. <laughs> I just like the idea of him <laughs> sat at the piano smoking endless cigarettes and she's going, "Donald, where do you want to go for dinner?" And he's just like, "Where's my fat back cord?" <laughs> you know, like, get away, you fucking monkey! I'm trying to write some sweet jazz. You know. <laughs> That isn't a cartoonishly abrasive person that you've created in your mind. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, w- Walter's coming around tonight. i got to lay down some grooves. Get out, of the f- get out of my fucking room. You know. Yo, yo, Jay-Z, look out. So I have, a, I have a question. Have co- I have a lyrics question. Okay, no, 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 no. I have a lyrics question, which is, is there some... So you know how, like, I don't know... You know how you have these like symbols in literature which have like great uh like diverse connotations like the fool or like the 
I don't know, mm. the, the the peasant, all these kind of things, right? The monkey, is, is the monkey connected in some way to sex? So the reason I ask is because Steely Dan have mentioned the monkey before in, yeah. uh, in a very boring song, which you shouldn't listen to, Brian, called Your Gold Teeth, where uh, <clears throat> he goes, there ain't nothing in Chicago for a monkey woman to do. But the whole song is about, so the monkey woman is, is she's like a, a sexy, like temptress figure, you know? And I'm just wondering whether the, there's some association, there's some literary association in Fagan's mind between sex and monkeys. Can I, no, can I jump in before Brian answers this and say, mm. and say that all the sexual connotations to monkeys this episode have been your doing? So, like, so you're mentioning this now, but also earlier you did say, and I don't know if this will make the episode, but you did say, like, I've just had sex with a monkey and now you're throwing peanuts at me. Did I say, did I say that? So, yeah, so so all of these kind of... Direct quote. Yeah. So so all of these connotations are, are, are in your back garden. So where am I getting the, the connotation from? What is it about monkeys that are so sexual? <laughs> Is it they're kind of like humans, but they don't have any inhibitions? Uh, oh, honestly, Andrew, this is going to take more than a podcast to unpick. I, 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 don't, I don't know that this is something we can get into now. Um, I will, especially I will because say... It's, yeah, Brian, sorry. please. Okay, 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 okay. Rescue me. Okay. In, in like the Jungian sense that you're talking about, mm. um, monkeys being connotated with sex and literature maybe mm. i i don't know of anything i i'm sure that i've been exposed to that at some point but i i don't yeah. recall any specific examples but same, i get what you're same. saying but in a jungian sense that yeah it might sort of transfer but what you're saying reminds me of the fact that i don't know if you guys have this problem but in america monkey does have a connotation that is and it's actually negative right because like i can't hear the word monkey without thinking about like the racial connotation right right yeah yeah um i don't know if you have the same thing in britain i would assume well it's it's there but it's it's very uh yeah okay it's it's stronger here because i mean that was until very recently um socially acceptable like it wasn't until like the 1970s when howard cassell got fired for saying it on tv Mm, um that it was socially accessible it's like you know within the last 50 years um, and there's still people that say it like there's still like one like I I made the mistake one time of going on teachers rate teachers because that's like a website where like you can see what your rating is from your students. Mm-hmm. And like in like 2015, a student had written uh, this is a paraphrase, but basically <laughs> in my first couple of years, they wrote he does fine considering all the little monkeys he has to like take care of during oh, his class period. And Ooh. I teach like. <laughs> Our school, our school is like sixty-five percent um, people who are black. So, like, that definitely had like a racial mm. connotation to it. Um, but you, but and you, so, I, well, I don't know if this translates, and I'm not defending this kind of behaviour, but like, there is a there is a phrase in in in, Engl- in British English, which is like, if you call someone a little monkey, you right. mean that they're, you mean that they're mischievous or they're yeah, they're a rascal. Kind oh, okay, of, yeah. So then there is a translation problem because in America. You have to be careful about how you say that. You, there are people that say that. There are people that call someone a little monkey. Mm-hmm. But you, I don't hear it a lot, to be honest, mm. because um, it could, it like almost paints you as someone who might have called someone else a monkey at some time. 
Yeah. Uh, so we almost don't touch. We almost don't touch that phrase. In fact, uh, at my daycare, my kids were in the monkey room because all the rooms at their daycare are named after animals. Um, and so right now they're in the cheetah room, but when they were two years old, they were in the monkey room. And I literally told my wife when they got in the monkey room, I literally said, if I ran that daycare, I might've changed that name. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm, mm. So Just yeah, because... I, don't, I, I don't think it's got quite the same connotation here, although it's certainly known. And what we can, what we can know from what you've said is that, is that Steely Dan was certainly aware of that connotation. You think so? When Cause when I song. read, cause when I read this, I don't see anything, anything else that could paint that. It, like that it, there's any rate like there's mm. any no I, I don't i, I don't necessarily there. i don't necessarily think they were making a racist connotation but right it, it, based on you saying that in the 70s kind of someone got fired for saying yeah, it, yeah. like it it mm. was it was there in the cultural sort of um, oh yeah you know uh Ether. nebula at, at, at the time yeah yeah, I mean, I think. Oh yeah, I was definitely there. I think so far, all their ire has been reserved for women and homosexuals. They haven't said uh, so far. We've been doing this for about seven years, and and I, we haven't come across anything like explicitly racist yet. So in all fourteen hundred, four hundred nineteen episodes. Yeah, nothing, nothing. nothing. Yeah. Okay, but then we right. might be tone deaf because it might be a you know a cultural. Well, back in the seventies, it was way more hip to to be misogynistic than it was to be racist. It was just more hip back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in fact, you know, if it, when 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 Steely Dan do stick their head above the parapet, as in with something like Barrytown, not that I expect you to know that, Brian, um, but you know, they 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 do look out for the underdogs. They do have a bit of a fetish for what they consider to be kind of like unsavory characters, which tends mm-hmm. to be things like sex workers and yeah, homosexuals and homeless people. However. They have also been shown to kind of go, it's not on to belittle these people. That's true. Barrytown is an anti-bigotry song. Oh, and then and then three tracks later, he uses the word fairy in a song. So, you know. Yeah, but, yeah I can't argue with that. That is true. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. Yeah. People, people contain multitudes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um uh, well, look, if 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 anything, I've learned in the fourteen years we've been doing this podcast yeah. is um, is is don't try and defend Steely Dan against these accu- accusations because yeah. um, because they're not necessarily wrong. Slam or scam. I think we all know what we're all going to say, uh, but just you know, for the sake of completeness, um, let's reveal our verdicts. And as ever. To be polite to our guest, we Brian Roston should reveal his verdict first, I think. So, mm-hmm. s- Royal Slam good or Royal Slam bad, Mr. Roston? I'm going to make this unnecessarily complicated. Oh, good. I'm going to I'm going to make this I'm going to go Royal Slam. <gasps> and he, and here's why. Because one of my favorite books is The Iliad. And what I love about The Iliad <laughs> what was pointed out to me about the Iliad was that Homer wrote the Iliad when he was in his 20s and he was an asshole and he thought that dying in war was the most glorious thing you can do and then he wrote the Odyssey and the Odyssey the Odyssey is all about how no that's stupid you should try to live so that you can like hang out with your family and live a good life Right, and so the Iliad and the Odyssey are wildly different books written by the same author that showcases that author's maturity over time. For the same reason, I have to make this a royal slam because 
the because the first version of um, the first version of Monkey in Your Soul is the Iliad. It's not very good. It's kind of all over the place, and it sends the wrong message. But the version that you sent us, Ollie, of that song, that's an amazing song. I really like that song. I would listen to that song on an elevator uh, and make conversation with the person next to me just because I'm in a good mood. Uh, sorry, a lift. If I was in a lift, mm-hmm. I would enjoy listening to that song. Uh, so I'm going to go with Royal Slam uh, because if you take both versions of the song, it shows the emotional journey of the band. Can I say two things to that? First of all, Brian Roston is made for this podcast. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and I've forgotten the second thing, but the first thing, that is such a countdown to Exodus's answer. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> I, I was just picturing you in the lift, like, and and uh, <clears throat> what's this song called? Monkey in Your Soul starts playing, and you turn to the person next to you, and you say, like, hey, this is a royal scam, am I right? Oh, sorry, a royal slam. You know, like, you use the terminology from the podcast. What's, like... Well, what's that. the vibe of this song, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the weirdest thing I've ever said to anyone in a lift. So Yeah, I tend to just uh, wear a sort of blank, pained, death mask sort of face and just wait for it to be over. <laughs> the leave me alone <laughs> face. Life, life or the... Life and the lift, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Ollie, what, what do you think? You, no, I think you should go next. No, I... Well, it's a, it's a royal scam. And you know that because I have to give a full scam. Look, I have to... Look, so here's a rule that I set upon myself, Brian Ruston. I have to give a full scam rating to one song on every album. Uh... I, I, I let slip last week that I basically consider this the worst it is on album. Like, I, I think this is, a, this is a bit of a mess of an album. Mm. Although I've been trying to sugarcoat it to Andrew Suter. To, to keep uh, me on board, you know. I, I, and yet, <laughs> I, I, this is the only song I'm giving a full scam rating to. It's fun, it's goofy, and yes, if they'd included the the live version, if they'd included the later version, then yes, it would have been. Um, it might have been different, but yeah, this is this is crap in almost every way. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Suter? It's a soft slam. You fucking asshole! I wow. You are you are such a conniving little prick. I can't like I am genuinely angry right now. You you're coming out now with the soft. It's in my notes. Soft slam. It's, I'm not just. This isn't just. You know. I'm not just coming out with this in the yeah, moment. You planned this. You planned this like like the artful dodger. No 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 no. no yes, you no, did. No, no, no. Let me tell. Oh, let me tell God, you why. So, let me tell I'm you so why. annoyed. I'm so annoyed. Let me tell you why. It's not a slam. It's not a royal slam because I don't want to listen to it. And I dislike almost everything about the arrangement. However, I think it's a good song. Like, I like the song and I would like to hear it done. So, I, I mean, I quite, I'm not quite as sold on the live version as you guys, but I did enjoy it more. And I can imagine if somebody else sang it, it would be really, really good. I just think it's dragged down by fucking fuzz bass, fucking horns, fucking... Donald Fagan sounding like he's having a seizure, you know. Strip all that away, recast it anew, and I reckon it could be an absolute banger. So, I, so that's why it's a soft slam, you know. I was extremely impressed with how many insults you were able to pack into that compliment. This I've never seen <laughs> in terms of density, and as some of the as some of the most dense examples of packing insults into a compliment in any context. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've ever seen. Yeah. I'm extremely impressed. Yeah, I've got a lot of ex- Welcome to Britain. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Damn! time for San Francisco show and tell where I or Andrew present a thing to the other person and of course we have an audience here today Brian Rustin and that thing is related to the to the song so I mentioned last episode I had two hours free to look at to to, to put something together and you know often this is like a a little musical joke or a piece of writing that will read out or, or, or something else that Andrew has previously gone on these like research jaunts where he's discovered, for example, um, a, an undiscovered Steely Dan demo, which he's then performed, or he's discovered um, a, an unheard piece of German folklore about the Rassia Menga. What well, <laughs> I, I, I can't remember the. I'm sure you can, Andrew, since you spent so long doing it. Uh, I actually can't. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Um, I took I I took those two hours very seriously. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, um, so I did a bit of research on Twitter and I took an instant flight to Dusseldorf mm. uh, as, as soon as I discovered this information. So, so I discovered uh, I, I literally like this tweet. No likes, no no retweets or anything. That this song is a re- is actually a reference to a um, a quote unquote discredited theory by. A German psychoanalyst by by the name of uh, Walter Stinktier, and his theory was all it revolved around this thing called simianon, right? And simianon is a kind of like primal life energy that's uh, that's shared by all great apes. And before you scoff, um, th- there's there's there is some basis to this. Okay, what Stinktier thought is if we could Stinktier. tap into this life and. Stinktier, yeah. What Stinktier thought is if we could tap into this life energy, it would reveal our true nature. So if we could somehow detect Simianon, the, the essence of Simianon in a, in a person, it would reveal their true nature. Now, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, then yes, that happened. The CIA were on it. <laughs> like, like, whew, like, like Andrew Suter and a monkey, right? Because the, <laughs> like, it is. It is in essence. If you misuse this this information, it's a perfect lie detector. Lie detector, isn't it? But Stinktier did not want this information to be misused. So he basically, you know, he he was he was thought to have destroyed all his research. However, in those two hours that I had free to to look into this, I discovered that there was. I, I basically tracked down his last remaining handwritten manuscript. Uh, in uh, in a, in the basement of a library in Dusseldorf in a, in a filing cabinet. So I have in my possession now. I had to kind of run past security and take it and, and retrieve it from the library. But I have in my possession all of his research, Stinktier's research about Simianon. And as part of that research, there is instructions, genuinely instructions about how to construct a Simianon detecting machine. That that can reveal the truth of, of, of your core, of your of of your of your apish life energy. What is amazing about the Simianon detector is that it can be constructed out of household objects that I know that you, Andrew Suter, would have to hand. Okay, so before this podcast I shared with you 
the instructions for how to build a Simeon, Simeonan detector, which involved uh, a toilet roll tube, mm-hmm. uh, a plastic kitchen funnel. Yeah, you remember? Um, yeah, I remember. I, I, remember I remember it popped up on my phone and sort of. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you've done it, right? Yeah. So, so page seventy of Bob Dylan's autobiography: uh, a sprinkle of curry powder, mm. a, a single guilty tear, and uh, and some sellotape. Mm-hmm. So, if 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 all has gone to plan, you have constructed your own Simeon mm-hmm. detector mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So, what I'm going to ask you to do is. Hold the Simeonon detector to your chest, mm-hmm. and what we're going to try and do is detect is detect your true apish mm-hmm. self. Okay, okay. I'm holding we're, it. We, 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 I mean, really, if anything, it's, it's it's an id detector. What is the what is the truth mm-hmm. of Andrew Souter? Okay, so move it around a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think you found something. Keep moving. Yeah. Keep yeah, moving. Yeah. You're losing. Go back. Yeah, no, it's, I, I like it a lot. Okay, you had something there. Can you go back to where you? Can you go back like to where you were? It's a very good song. Yeah. I think that this is a nice lyric. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. You really got it. Okay, because I, I think the uh, the main electric piano part is truly lovely, burbling away. Can you go, keep going, keep going, like you've nearly, you've nearly honed in. Really good, well done. It's a slam, baby. <laughs> keep, keep going. You've got radio static now, keep, keep, just move back to where you were. But genuine, genuinely, I have nothing negative to say about this song. Okay. Like, literally nothing. I think it's just very, very good. It's very, it's very good. Yeah, I really like it. Love the chords. Uh, it's got a nice lilt. Uh, I very much enjoyed this song. Andrew, I think you need me there. Just, just move it it's like a millimetre. side of Donald Fagan, you know? I, I feel my, my view of him is becoming more rounded. Just a millimetre. Just move it a millimetre. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a closeted Steely Dan fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, we found it. We we found the we, we found the core. We found the the ape inside you, Andrew Souter. I mean, I I don't I don't think you need to say anything because. Oh, in fact, no. Let's do it. Put put it put it back on. Put the Simeon mm-hmm, detector back okay. on yourself. Let's just double check. You need me there. I'm a I'm a closeted Steely Dan fan. <gasps> so I mean, I mean, your your inner self has spoken, Andrew Souter, and uh, and now at the end of, even at the end of the worst Steely Dan album, mm-hmm. that's well for one, the work of Stinktier was not for naught. We we we've proven <laughs> that Walter Stinktier was onto something, but B. I mean, Jesus Christ! What have we? This is this is paradigm shifting stuff. Can I just you're, say you're you're a, you're a closeted Steely Dan fan? Can I just say I said that I was a closeted Steely Dan fan as a joke on a bonus episode, and you have snipped that 
and dragged it into the public sphere in order to humiliate me. And I just want to say, I fucking hate Steely Dan. <laughs> I detest Steely Dan. Okay. Listen, uh, nothing nothing there was pre-recorded. I think we've got the wrong end of the stick. That was all detected in situ mm-hmm. by, by the, the... Uh, CBN on detector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Including my gasp at the end, I think I, th- I think I have so inhabited your soul that part of my <laughs> voice slipped in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I mean, wow. I mean, uh, so anything you say following this about about how you feel about Steely Dan is, is basically rendered moot. Uh, just just to, uh, I mean, uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm as surprised as you are. Can I just say, Andrew Sutter <laughs> and Brian Ruston? Yeah. You know, this is this is. This is unthinkable stuff, and it kind of, you know, it kind of, it changes the face of the podcast, doesn't it? Because you, your whole, your whole, the whole thing has been built on a jeopardy of you disliking Steely Dan, but yet your inner self mm. has, has has spoken. You so. see, what concerns me is that we're going to be talking about some terrible, <laughs> slick jazz rock thing in like three years' time, and we're both old and wrinkled and sad. And then I'll say, oh, I just, I just, and older and sadder. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, I really just don't like this song. And then you'll just play a clip from that <laughs> Simeon on Detector. And like you say, it will yeah, just, it whatever I say is just, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, handy. Mm. Handy. <laughs> should, we, should we talk about how you feel about <laughs> 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 These questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. Brian, how can people find you and where the, where can they find you and why should they find you? Well, if you want to find my writing, if you Google my name, Brian Rostin, some of my short stories come up. If you go on Amazon and type in Brian Rostin, uh, you'll actually find my book, Pete vs. City of Chicago, um, which I publish on. Uh, it's just like a self-published book. Uh, and then I have just started a magazine, um, is called the mall. Um, and it is horror that is supposed to be accessible to teenagers. So we're trying to make horror, not just for teenagers. Um, it's targeted at adults too. Um, but we want it to be accessible to teenagers, people who've never read horror or aren't sure about the genre or are interested, but don't know where to start kind of starts you out, uh, on the horror genre. And you can find that. Um, by going to themallmag.com. Um, mall is spelled M-A-U-L because I'm clever with words. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to say, just on the podcast, um, again, thank you guys for letting me on. You guys are awesome. And God save the queen. Oh, brilliant. Well, no, thanks again, Brian, for, for coming on. And you've been a delight. And yes, we'll, we'll have you back yeah. in every capacity possible. I cannot wait to be back for the next series. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Nós um pra olhar pra trás e histórias devem Mas para lá em Barrytown as coisas só estranhas Apesar de me confusse no ser, gosto das coisas como eu. Embora você quere companhia, estou aqui sozinho. 
Vai brincar com o vizinho Posso ver pelo que carrega Que você vem de paritão Estou convencido nas histórias que ouvi Ou é só o delinho Juro em cada palavra que li Não é pense que sou irracional Ou fala das coisas minhas Quero ver muito bem Mas perceba o que vai vestir eu contento que se sentir Posso ver pelo que carrega Que você vem de paritão Bem no início recordamos O verbo lançou Baritão só o povo vem de um mundo muito diferente Que não será tal gente se o virem na rua Não pense em gritar e nem berrar Não vai poder nem encerrar Estava lá quando saiu Uma falta de graça especial Na sua expressão facial Posso ver pelo que carrega Que você vem de paritão Música